Well, good morning. I'm glad that we don't have ice storms. It is cold for this now Florida girl, so I'm glad you're here. And um, my name is Linda Verratti. And almost exactly 28 years ago, my husband and I came to this church with our two little girls. And um, we have seen many things happen, but being in this sanctuary is one of the sweetest things that we have got to be a part of. We're, we're thrilled for it. It is such a joy to sing alongside you. It is such a joy to open up our hearts and our Bibles so we can flourish and delight in God's Word. I'm very thankful for my friend Tracy. Um, I don't know where she went, but um, oh, yeah, sweet beanie girl. Uh, <laughs> but I, I love that she encouraged us to delight in God's word because he is our treasure. And I'm thankful for Rebecca. Again, just that encouragement about how powerful memorizing scripture is. Well, I am starting this morning with a pop quiz. <clears throat> So I hope you've had coffee or some tea, okay? And it is a participation pop quiz, okay? What I'm going to do is I'm going to give six famous quotes, and your job is to try to recall who said them, okay? I only have one rule. It's that some of the quotes are a little longer, so you wait till I've said them because y'all are so smart, you're going to know right away. But, okay, you got it? Quote number one. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Do you know who said that? Martin Luther King. Kathy, you should know that. You had that post. Oh, okay. Okay. She's so little I didn't see her hand. That's my daughter. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Um, second quote. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Neil Armstrong. That which doesn't kill us makes us stronger. Think hard. Half a point for Kelly Clarkson. <laughs> and and um, does anybody know? Well, it goes way back, actually, to Frederick Nietzsche. I had to look it up, because I would have said Kelly Clarkson, but, um, all right. Read my lips, no new taxes. Yes, President George H.W. Bush, and we won't get into that, okay? Um, <laughs> he is no fool who, cannot, who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Jim Elliot, yes. Last one. As you wish. <laughs> yes. You can tell this is going to be godly today, can't you? <laughs> uh, Wesley from The Princess Bride. Okay. Did, did anybody get all six? Half point for Kelly. If you had, I think Tracy was giving out... I might have been mistaken, $100 bills or something. <laughs> okay, well, there is a point to my pop quiz, and the point is that our words are powerful. Our words are memorable, and they're important. 
And Solomon reminds us of this very truth. In Proverbs 18, 21, he says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And death and life. Our words can bring great destruction or they can bring great good. Our words can cause great harm or they can encourage, they can build up. I have such a privilege to open the holiest of words this morning. And God is the author. And because he is the very author of words, I want to share how he instructs us to speak. If you've been a believer for any amount of time, I know you've probably opened the book of James and you've read about the tongue. Well, we are going to do it just one more time this morning. And if you will look or you'll read along with me, James chapter 3 says the following. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. James tells his readers, no human, no man, no woman can tame the tongue. Wow, so, so what do we do? Do we say, it is hopeless? It's just hopeless. Let's just close our Bibles and go on. I mean, because James, who was in the Bible, actually said that. So I don't have to control my words. But dear women, we know we are never without hope. We even have hope for our speech because Jesus Christ is the word. And in him, that's where we find great hope. Because this word became flesh, and he became our redeemer. We've hidden our lives in him. So, he has given us every resource through his life and through the word that will show us how we need to speak, how we are meant to speak as believers. And with this, I think this instruction will give us faith and courage to do that thing. Believing that actually something better can come out of our words because of him. We have the power as believers of the Holy Spirit in us. We must yield to it. We must cling to it. I look in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, and Peter tells us that same thing. He says, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. What that means for us is that the word, our Savior, he made his dwelling place when we became believers. He dwells in us, and so therefore he has given us the power to speak as he designed. Paul Tripp's book, War of Words, explains it well. And if you ever get an opportunity to read about Godly communication and our words. Paul Tripp's book is excellent there. But one of the things he says in that, he says that in Christ we embraced inability 
and ability. And because we have Christ living in us, the power of his Holy Spirit, that's our ability because we are, like James says, weak and needy and unable to control our tongues. So we who could not control our tongues are now able to do that by the word of God. Man, is that hope or what? That is our great hope. So, in order for us to flourish as God wants us to flourish, we are going to look through the book of Colossians, and we're going to go to chapter 3. And we're going to see how Paul instructs us through the power of God for us to flourish even in our speech. Now, on a side note, a, a, a very, very side note, if you ever find yourselves on Jeopardy or at a trivia night, you will know that, and the category is some of Linda Roddy's favorite passages, Colossians 3 is really high, so bet big money, okay? Okay. Um, so we'll start in Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2. And Paul says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. These two verses are the very foundation for our session on speech. You see, the problem with our tongues, well, the problem with our words does not start with our tongues, does it? It starts with our hearts. It starts with our minds. When we were raising our girls, we would continually use that example of you have the glass, and when you shake the glass, what comes out? What's ever in the glass? And it's the same for us, ladies. What is in us is going to come out. And again, that's where Solomon, we have life or death. We have such power in our words. And because that comes out, that means my tongue is the instrument that's going to reveal exactly what is in my heart. So, because we have this quest, we want to flourish, we want to have godly speech, we must set our minds on things above. We must focus on things of the Lord, like, like Tracy shared so beautifully last night. We have to go to the Word, because that is our treasure. I can't think that I am going to speak words that honor God if I don't know what God says to me. I can't think that I'm going to glorify him if I haven't focused on him, if I don't know how he wants me to speak, if I don't know how Christ spoke while he was here. So that is what we do. We want to set our minds. We want a purpose to speak as Christ spoke. Tracy mentioned it last night, and she didn't even peek at my notes, but in Matthew 11, we went over last year as a church the book Gentle and Lowly, and it was so profitable and Christ told them, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly, and you will find rest for your souls. He's given them that instruction even back then, learn from me. And it's the same instruction for us learn from him. We are to learn from him. And when we do, and when we fill our minds with what he says, it is just going to flow over in our conversations. It will be like what is in the glass. It can't help but spill out 
when we have focused and purpose and yielded to what is in us, okay? So that is our foundation to flourish, to set our minds on things above. Now, Paul goes on in chapter 3, and he tells us exactly what to do next. We're going to look at verses 8 through 10. And I know, I know many of you women did the Ephesians study in the fall. And in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, you went over a lot of the same things, the put off and put on. Well, that's what we're getting into now. We are now to the verses where Paul is instructing us what to lay aside, what to put off. And this is what he says starting in verse 8. Now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. His instruction now as we have our foundation is what we're going to put off. We are going to put off anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, and lying. What a list. But even as I study this list, I don't think it's a complete list. I think there are other destructive habits that we need to also consider laying aside, putting off. Gossip, judgmental speech, harsh words, ridicule, critical speech. These destructive habits are all mentioned elsewhere in Scripture, and I know Proverbs has much to say on most of them. When I went to look at destructive speech habits, the first one I came to, believe it or not, was Proverbs 21.9. It is better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. Paul is telling wives, destructive speech can be so bad that you send your husband to a corner of the roof. But if he didn't make his point clear enough then, ten verses later he goes on to say, it is better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. When we are irritable and anxious, it is revealed in our speech, and obviously it drives people away, some people even out to the desert. So, we don't want to have destructive speech. But what about when we slip into the sin of judgmentalism? Again, our words display what is present in our hearts. I think, I think sometimes it is very difficult for us to accept that another person's opinion can be different from ours, and yet both opinions be acceptable before God. Romans 14.4 says, Who are you to pass judgment on another servant? We have convictions, and friends, we should hold on to our convictions. But, oh, let's do it with a spirit of humility. Let us put aside judgmental speech. What about a critical spirit? Do I continually find fault with those around me, especially, especially those closest to me? I bet if I talked to each one of you individually, you could quickly recall a time when you were criticized. You could quickly recall a time when someone's words hurt you deeply. Even as forgetful as I am, I am incredibly forgetful. 
I can still recall words that hurt me deeply. Destructive speech has lasting effects like the ripples on the water that go on. I remember things from years ago, and I'm sure you do too. I read that it takes seven compliments to undo one criticism. Now, over the summer, I reread Jerry Bridges' book on respectable sins. And in one of his chapters, he said that it takes 10 compliments to undo one criticism. Well, whether it's 7, 8, 9, or 10, we get the point, don't we? It takes a lot of encouragement to build someone back up when they have been criticized, when they have been discouraged. But it doesn't have to be that way. Back when I was 22 years old, I was still very close to my friend Donna Frazier. And uh, I was going through, I was not a believer, and I was going through a very rough season. It was a difficult trial for me, and Donna sent me this card in the mail. And I remember when I opened it up, she had written so sweetly, Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And I did not know Psalm 30, verse 5 at that time. And so, because I was lost as a hoot, when I read Donna's card, I said, You have got to be kidding me. Really, Donna? This is, this is the encouragement you send? But when I think on that episode, Donna could have written pages to me that said, Oh, girl, oh, girl, you are reaping what you have sowed. You have been very foolish in your actions. But she chose to speak light to this tender heart. And because we said words are memorable, decades later, I remember your kind words. And through those decades, she has continued to not have a critical spirit, but always kindly talk to me and encourage me. Now, I have not always responded as Donna has. Oh, I did want to say, too, it, it might seem like such a small thing what she did. She just sent a card. She put a verse in it. There you go. But Donna had no clue even at that time God was starting to work in my heart. And so we don't know how our words will affect someone. Her words and God's drawing then allowed me to become a believer shortly after that. And so, again, it, something might seem like such a small thing, but obviously, years and years and years later, I thank God for it and I remember it. Now, what I was going to say is, I, I don't always respond like Donna Jo. Sometimes I am critical. Sometimes I am impatient and harsh. And that is why I love it that God put 1 John 1, 9 in the Bible. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness, even ungodly, destructive speech. We are not cemented to a set track record. Say you have a problem with anger or you have a problem with gossip, you do not have to stay on that track record. Remember, we have great hope for change because of Christ. And that's why I love 1 John 1, 1, 9. We can repent quickly 
and move on, move on from destructive to good speech. Okay? So, because our words are memorable, we want to walk this way. We've set our affections on things above our foundation. We've put off all the destructive speech, or we seek to do that. Now we get to the good stuff. Now we get to where Paul encourages to clothe ourselves, to adorn ourselves with the character of God, with his, his ways and his words. And it's beautiful. And just like today, Paul layers up in the following verses. I want us to start out just by looking at Colossians 3.12. Paul starts this whole put-on session with the following verse. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. And we're going to get to the other good stuff, but I want to stop here because every single time I come to this passage, I stop here and I drink in these words. Look again what he says. As believers, we are God's chosen and loved. I find that incredibly intimate and overwhelming. And it reminds me of another verse in Isaiah 43. God tells Isaiah to speak to his people this way. In Isaiah 43, Isaiah says, But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. Oh, sorry, Abby, I did my thing. (laughs) When you pass through the waters, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because... You are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. Oh, my. He just repeats what Paul says in Colossians 3. God loves his children. He honors them. I I read this, and I have no idea why he would love me. And yet he does. And so on the basis of that truth alone, I want to live a life where my speech honors him. I want to live a life where the word of Christ dwells in me richly and I bring glory to him. And that, that calls us back to Colossians chapter 3, where again, Paul gives us such beautiful instruction for how we can do that with Christ's ability. So we look back to Colossians 3. And again, as I think on this, I want us to know this just isn't a lesson in moral improvement, that we want to grit our teeth and say, I'm not going to be angry today. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. 
This is a lesson in realizing the beauty of the power when it fills you up, when you know how much you are loved. It changes our attitude. So when our hearts and our attitude is changed, how in the world can our speech not be changed? And so that is our goal and our purpose. So sweet women, let's, I really am going to get to Colossians 3, the put on. So here we go now, okay? Put on men as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. You see why I love those verses so much? How adorning they are, how we want to layer and put them on, and then God ends it with a big bow of love. I just... I love that. So Paul begins by telling us to put on compassion. And that is to have mercy, to be understanding of one another. 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Why in the world would I not show mercy to somebody else when I have been granted such undeserved compassion myself? So we're beginning to layer. We've got compassion on. Now let's put on kindness. And Paul doesn't mean that we all have to have syrupy speech, okay? Because I know sometimes somebody can have syrupy speech and it's not kind, okay? So, we are meant to speak and to act in a way that is considerate and understanding. That's what it means to speak with kindness. And through life, we are meant also to rebuke and to confront one another. That's true. But oh, how many times we do it without any kindness. One of the books, I don't know who all got it, um, is that Aggressively Happy book. And I love all the books. But one of my favorite things about those of you who got that book and haven't read it, that at the end of every chapter, Joy puts, you know, uh, different things you continue reading and different songs. And, and I love that part. And if I was really creative like Joy, I could have done that with each of these characteristics. But I have one for you, and I only have one for you because it's something that I've been listening to lately. Stephen Curtis Chapman has a song on kindness. And he sings the very truths that we're reading about today, that why would we not show kindness when it is his kindness that has led us to repentance? So that's my one way to be like Joy Clarkson. There you go. Okay. Um, so, we put on kindness, and now we put on humility. Last year, Pastor Matt preached on Psalm 131, and it was just an excellent message on humility. And in going over that again, I realize how great is my need for, for humility. And so, in reading that, it helps me to lay aside that pride that just wants to come up in me all the time. 
and to lay it aside and to be humble like our Savior that walked this earth. And again, when, when he talked about learn from me, we go through all four of the Gospels and we see time and time again where he was so humble. He was humble with his disciples. He was humble with the Pharisees even. This is the God of universe. And so if he is that way, I want us to be that way. And then we're called to clothe ourselves with gentleness, which is tenderness. And when I speak gently to someone, I don't damage them with my words. I don't use my words as a weapon. Again, in all of this, we don't, we don't compromise any convictions. We just speak them as God would instruct us to speak. Because again, it's true, a brother offended is harder to win. So we can speak truth and conviction, but we can do it with tenderness and gentleness. And if we are gentle, it doesn't mean we're weak. We all know it doesn't always mean, it doesn't take a lot of strength to just let your words fly. It takes great strength to be gentle, to be humble, to be compassionate and kind. And then we're called to be patient in our speech. And this means we need to be willing to wait to speak sometimes. And this is really hard for me because I told you I'm forgetful. And sometimes I think I'm going to forget the very good point that I need to tell you or the excellent story that you have to hear because it's really funny. But to be patient in our speech means we must be willing to wait. We always told our girls and ourselves, timing is everything when you go to speak to someone. And sometimes being patient means not speaking at all, holding your tongue and listening. And then we are to put on forbearance, which is patience on steroids. It is, it is patience under pressure. We are to speak calmly when we are provoked. And again, Christ is our example. Peter tells us that when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he was suffered, he didn't threaten. But he continued entrusting himself to the one who judges rightly. We can have forbearance in our speech because of Christ. And this sometimes is hard when we are unjustly accused or when one of our children, our family, our friends, our church is accused. And then we come to verse 13, and we clothe ourselves with forgiveness. And Paul says, again, we can forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. And we know we have been forgiven so very much. If I refuse to forgive... Anger and bitter can just kind of fester inside of me, or revenge. And we know it is going to come out, and when it does, it is ugly. So let us purpose and seek to forgive quickly. And let us purpose and seek to ask for forgiveness quickly. My, my sweet daughter Cassidy is in the... Um, 
is in the auditorium this morning, and I thought as I was going over my lesson, oh, how many times she and Kelsey were so quick to forgive their mother, and I'm so thankful for that because we like to be forgiven quickly, don't we? So therefore, let us be like our Savior and forgive quickly. So we've got compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and forbearance and forgiving. We are just looking good here. We are clothing ourselves, adorning ourselves. And then we come to Colossians three sixteen and 17. Mm. And Paul ends it with thankfulness. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to our God the Father through him. We want this gratitude to flow out of us. From the moment that I wake up till I lay my head, I will sing of the goodness of God. We want to be like the psalmist David who says, With my mouth I will give great thanks to the Lord. Our words are powerful, aren't they? They're memorable, and they are important. Solomon's challenge of death or life in our words is a great challenge. Thankfully, thankfully, we can set our minds on things above. We can focus on God. Thankfully, we can lay aside the garments that are destructive and clothe ourselves and adorn ourselves with godly speech. We can speak with grace, sweet women. We can flourish in spite of ourselves. Let's pray. Oh, gracious Father, I thank you for all of these women that came out this weekend. I thank you that they have a desire to flourish. They have a desire to learn from you because you are gentle and lowly, because you are holy, because you love them and honor them. Help us to never get over that truth. Thank you that you have given us the words of life, your words. Thank you that you can empower us, you instruct us in how we should speak. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. May my speech always be seasoned with salt so that we would know how we are to answer one another. May your spirit produce in us the very temperament of Jesus. And may the world see your love in our speech and in our lives, and may this draw many to you, for you are worthy of it all. Amen.